I'm Kevin Rogers, and you're listening to our second episode of Sidewalk Skyline. Within our first week, uh, we've already reached over 260 subscribers on our RSS feeds. That tells me we should probably keep moving forward telling these stories about God at work in the city core of Canadian cities. Uh, you may be listening because you too have a big heart for Canada and you're just a little bit curious about how we can make a difference. Why don't you subscribe and journey with us across Canada? We're available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, and our website, SidewalkSkylinePodcast.com. Some of our episodes will be interviews uh, with fascinating people, and some shows, uh, like the one we're doing here today, uh, will feature relevant content to help us all understand more about urban life in Canada. If you haven't heard the first episode, we talked with Roger Fordham of Feeding Windsor. You might want to go back and check that episode out. In that interview, one of the things he shared was how food opened the doors for us to go into low-income, high-rise properties to provide hospitality and food security for people living in tough places. We, we can all point to low-income high-rises in our cities that struggle with multi-level problems. Gang and drug activity, mental health issues, food insecurity, pest control, and the list goes on and on and on. Uh, but how about the other high-rise buildings that, that people choose to live in? Um, have you ever lived or stayed in a downtown condo in a major city? In my travels, I usually prefer, when I can, to book an Airbnb over a hotel chain. Uh, More than once, I've stayed downtown in a condo, and I've caught glimpses of what that kind of urban life may be like. Some people think that would be wonderful. Others say, no way, Jose. Well, if you do live in a condo, you're not alone. It's become a desirable domicile for many. In 2017, CBC's reporter Pete Evans wrote an article on Canadians living in condos, and I want to read some key points for us to consider. Statistics Canada says almost 1.9 million Canadian households were living in condominiums uh, in 2016. Among that group, Just over two-thirds were owners, while 616,570 Canadians rented them. As is to be expected, there's a wide variety across the country when it comes to the popularity of condos as a choice of places to live. In Vancouver, for example, more than 30% of the population live in condos, the highest percentage in Canada by far. Condos are home to 21.8% of Calgarians, followed by Abbotsford, Mission, Kelowna, and Toronto, all of which have more than one out of every five households living in a condominium. In other cities, meanwhile, condos barely rate as a living option. In Greater Sudbury, Ontario, St. John, Thunder Bay, 
St. John's, Peterborough, and Belleville. Less than one out of every 20 people live in a condo. Well, on today's episode, we're going to hear from Daryl Dash, a pastor who has planted a church in Toronto's Liberty Village. It's a neighborhood that at one time was industrial and institutional, but has been transformed into a residential neighborhood, uh, primarily with condo developments. So he's planted Liberty Grace Church. It's a young fellowship evangelical Baptist church. They're in a neighborhood where most people that live there can go through uh, their secure entry, hop on an elevator, and disappear into their home, into their unit, without really needing to encounter their neighbors in any significant way. So how do you crack the community code and make a lasting impact in a place that the average person might live in for just a couple of years? Our session today is a workshop that Daryl Dash gave at the Our City Toronto Conference back in September 2019. This was an urban practitioner event, uh, and some incredible people from the GTA uh, were sharing their stories and and their insights. Uh, The event was hosted at at Stone Church. Well, down the road, we're going to feature a few more episodes that came out of that conference. But without any further ado, I think we should get to our episode for today. Let's listen to Daryl's workshop and hear about Condo Church in Liberty Village. So I want to tell you a little bit about my story, and then uh, this can be interactive, so you can at any time interrupt or heckle. Uh, I expect as much from Trevor here, so that's okay. And uh, so a long, long time ago in a previous life, uh, I, I grew up in Brampton, as I said, and I went to school in Scarborough. And But one day, I heard of a church uh, called Runnymede, at the time Baptist Church, now Runnymede Community Church, and they were looking for a student pastor. And this, this was actually one of the most transforming moments of my life. I still remember it. I went to the community to kind of scope it out, came up the subway at Bloor and Runnymede, and walked out of the subway and something changed. That was like the moment where I think I'm called to Toronto. And I don't know what it was. I think actually we'll get into what it was. I think it was, uh, for me growing up, the city was always a place of, uh, my granddad called it the concrete jungle. So I always thought of it as being a place, a very impersonal place. That was the first time that I walked in and I saw Toronto was a city of neighborhoods. And uh, does anybody know the, well, you know the Runnymede area. Anybody know the blurred Runnymede area? Uh, I know. Yeah. I walked out, and I actually spent a little bit of ministry time there. But that was at the moment where I was like, this is it. This is where I think God is calling me to be in an urban place, uh, right on the subway. That's not downtown Toronto, but that's still like very much urban Toronto. And so... I filed that away. Uh, in school, I also had a couple of, especially one guy, uh, and I got to know him a little bit, and he pastored, do you know Barry Duguid? Mm-hmm. He pastored, I think he's pastored now, three churches in 
uh, Toronto and then a number of churches where he served as interim. And he said, he challenged a lot of his students, consider making a lifetime commitment to Toronto. Consider making, like, this is your place. Um, and, of course, God can change that. You want to follow God's call. But consider if God might be calling you to say, this is where uh, I'm going to devote my life. These are going to be my people. So, anyway, all of that was, like, this was all going on. I was like, this is it. I didn't know this existed. I didn't know that there were neighborhoods within a city. And I didn't know that there was this vibrancy of community within uh, a place like Toronto, down, like right on the subway line. So then, I graduated from seminary. Uh, I, I think I was uh, 23. I know I was 23. A church called me to be their uh, pastor. And uh, it was right across the Humber River from uh, Blue and Runnymede area. So I was, you could tell, like, this church was interested. By the way, don't call, if you ever have a say, don't call a 23-year-old as your pastor. Let's <laughs> throw that in there. Don't do that. Stupid move. But I went there, and I thought, this is cool, because it's almost, uh, this, like, you know, it's within a short drive of there. It was a world apart. So just crossing the Humber River, I don't know what happens. It's interesting, that, but things changed, and that was very much Etobicoke. Uh, and as opposed to Bloor and Runnymede, uh, was there, when I lived there, I walked everywhere. If you had a car, you still walked everywhere. I crossed the Humber River, and I was literally a five-minute walk away from the church I was pastoring. So I was very much like incarnational ministry, moving to the neighborhood. I still remember every time we went to the church, almost always, we drove to the church. And now I shake my head like, what were we thinking? But you drove everywhere. There were no sidewalks, uh, very few sidewalks. Uh, it was really a place where you drove to the supermarket, uh, as opposed to Bloor and Runnymede, where you would walk every day. Nobody shopped for the week. He went down every day and bought fresh vegetables from the vegetable market and went to the butcher. So just a world apart. And I spent uh, 20 years, so uh, seven years at Park Lawn and Queensway in uh, kind of like mild suburbia. And then I still remember the day when I was called to a church uh, called Richview, which is Eglinton and Kipling, which is close to the airport. And I crossed that threshold. We never moved our house, but I crossed that threshold from mildly suburban to totally suburban. So that whole area, central Etobicoke, is uh, just so different. And it's changing now. It's becoming more multicultural. But it was like everybody, I went to a church there, everybody drove to that church. Nobody walked. I don't think anybody walked to the church. It was, its vision was to be kind of a regional church that offered all the programs anybody could want. And I remember thinking, people would ask, are you going to move into the community? And I always said, A, it doesn't matter. Like, it's a suburban, big box church or wannabe. Like, nobody actually cares if you're even part of the neighborhood or, to be honest, they don't really care. Like, the criteria isn't that you even reach the neighborhood. And B, I hated that neighborhood. <laughs> I spent 13 years in a neighborhood pastoring in a church where I really didn't like the neighborhood. And if you ask me why, I would say to this day, because there wasn't a lot to love about the neighborhood. Like, there was no... Uh, I, I went to exegete the community there. And you try to figure out, what holds the community together? Where is the center of the community? 
Like, where do people gather? Where does the community come together? Where is the shared sense of belonging to this community? After 13 years there, I couldn't answer that question. There was no community hub. There was no place where people gathered. There was no sense of community identity. And I'm telling you a story. They'll get into, like, I hope this is interesting if you can start yawning if it isn't. <laughs> I began to uh, really, for some, every time I went to downtown Toronto, my heart came alive. And, and so I began to, like, I'm not a genius, but I kind of figured every time I'm in Etobicoke, part of my soul dies. And I apologize if you live in Etobicoke. <laughs> but it's like, every, it's almost like, like something in me is slowly withering away. Thank you. Amen. And every time I came to downtown Toronto, it would be this place that I was raised to hate. Like, like everything was like, I live in a condo now. My mother was like, oh, I don't understand how anybody lives in a condo. It's just a little shoebox in the sky and like concrete jungle. There's no tree. Like every time I came downtown, it was like, I love this. This is, I felt the energy. I love the people. And so one day when I was at Richview, I began to read uh, Tim Keller on the city, uh, an article that he wrote, A New Kind of Urban Christian, which is the first time that it basically he says, more Christians need to move into the city. They need to learn to be good neighbors. Uh, instead of fleeing the city, Christians are generally like, oh, the city's evil. We need to flee the city. They need to move into the city. They need to love the city. Uh, and so that was like, oh, man. And I began to read, actually, it was a lot of Tim Keller. Uh, and he made a case. I always thought that church planting was for weird people. And since then I've learned he actually is kind of for weird people. So uh, I, I was describing like people who can't. I used to think church planters were people who couldn't fit in the traditional church. And they were a little bit deviant. So that's why they planted churches. And I was talking about that once. And a church planter raised his hand and said, that's kind of right. <laughs> right? Like, there's an element of truth there. But I began to say, like, oh, man, we have so many churches in Etobicoke and North York and Scarborough, at least in our denomination. We, I couldn't think of very many churches. Actually, I mapped them. I, put, I went on Google Maps, and I mapped all the churches. And it was like a big upside-down U with no churches in the downtown core. And so I began to pray, God, would you raise up church planters to go downtown? I, this is a place I love. God, would you please send church planters to go down there, it's going to be hard, would you? Don't ever pray that. Because, <laughs> you know, I, I left that church, and I was really wrestling the last year, like discernment, where is God calling me? And I thought, well, it can't be that God would call me to go to downtown. I had all the reasons why. I'm not a church planter. I'm too old. It's for other people to go. I was going to go to a seminary and teach. Uh, and then, I, I got contacted, took a church planning assessment. I thought, well, this is going to kill it for sure. They're going to say, like, dude, cute, nice try, you know, like, uh, but no. Like, you know, and then I, I was surprised when they came back and I was approved, uh, which makes me question the church planning assessment. Jamie <laughs> actually didn't make me question it afterwards. And that, but one thing led to another, I began to realize the only reason why I wouldn't go was fear. And fear was actually very real. I was told by a church planter I respect in Toronto, it is impossible to plant a church in Liberty Village. Does everyone know where Liberty Village is? Anybody not know where Liberty Village is? It's okay if you don't. Liberty Village is a condo community north of the CNE. It didn't even exist 15 years ago. 
but it's Condo City, Millennials, uh, 10,000. So I was told by a church planner, you will, nobody can ever plant a church there, and especially you can't plant a church there. So he was very specific. Even if somebody could, you can't. And so that actually, because I respected the guy, made me think uh, a little bit about, like, man, like, what am I, am I smoking something I shouldn't? You know, is this very realistic or not? And, uh, but it became clear that God was calling us to go. The only reason not to go was fear, which we were terrified. And in 2012, we actually moved. And uh, it was a huge adjustment to go from the burbs to all of a sudden a young, professional, millennial community where people were not interested in church. We went, there were four of us, my family, basically. Uh, after a year, we dropped. My daughter's like, I'm out. So, you know, the church plant was not going in the right direction. We attracted others, but even my daughter was like, I'm done. Uh, you can pray for her. She walked away from the faith. Uh, I think God is still writing her story, but, like, that's not a great start to a church plant, right? Like, we're four strong. Oh, wait, we're three strong. Like, and then from there, we began to uh, grow. It's been hard, and it's been exciting. But today, what I want to do is to just talk about what does it look like to make that transition from being suburban to going into the heart of the city? And uh, I, so just footnote, when I say the heart of the city, Liberty Village is not downtown Toronto. I think the boundaries of downtown Toronto go to Bathurst. And so if you are a downtown Torontonian, you'll be rolling your eyes right now because you're like, Liberty Village is not downtown Toronto. <laughs> But for all effects and purposes, it is a more, I think it's part of what I would call the neighborhood fabric of uh, more inner city Toronto. I wouldn't call it suburban. It's got suburban elements in it. It's got a big metro with a big parking lot, which drives me crazy. Uh, so it, it has got suburban elements within, uh, I would say, a more urban community, if that makes sense. So, so are you with me so far? Any questions? Liberty Village is downtown. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> Like, I had a friend, we were in Willowdale, like, uh, Finch, and he was talking about Young and Finch being downtown Toronto, no. and I'm like, dude, no. you're nowhere. You think just because you can see the CN Tower, you're, from, you're in downtown Toronto. But Liberty Village is essentially downtown-ish. Here's the challenge of the burbs, and I want to be fair. So, is anybody suburban right now, currently suburban? Okay. So you guys hold me, like, I want to be fair, because... I think it's very, one of the trends I don't like is that urban guys slag anything that's not urban. And I don't think that's a healthy trend. Because I think that actually wherever there are people, it matters. Amen. Uh, so, you know, I think that there's been a, uh, I think a necessary emphasis on urban ministry. But I think that, like, man, we, uh, there's actually a dire need for rural church planters right now. Because uh, everybody wants to go to the hip communities like Liberty Village. Nobody wants to go to Farmville. Uh, no, uh, some people want to go to Mississauga or whatever, but you know, like the sexy thing to do is to go downtown. But having lived in the suburbs, growing up in Brampton, and then living in Etobicoke for, so I've been in the suburbs most of my life. What is a suburb? Actually hard to define, but you generally a mixed use area, often residential, primarily residential, existing either as part of a city or an urban area or as a separate residential community within commuting distance of a city. So here are some of the traits of a suburban area. Low density. So typically, I was in, where was I? 
Well, Sarnia and London recently, uh, there was another place, and we were just driving around, and it's like, could they put up another plaza? Like, it's plaza after plaza. Oh, yeah, it was uh, Brantford. And it was like, everything is, like, you have to drive everywhere. Now, I said to my friend, like, where do you live? He's like, oh, we're way across town. I did a Google map. It was seven minutes. So it's not even very far, but you can't walk from his house to go get groceries. You've got to get in the car. You've got to drive. Everything's kind of low density where, like, instead of Liberty Village where there's, uh, I think, 15,000 people within an area, like a very small area, there would be, like, maybe in that equivalent area, of like up to a thousand people. So much lower density. Reliance on the automobile. And that's the thing. In suburb, suburbia, it's very difficult to live uh, without a car. Uh, you're not meant to walk, so you can do transit, but it's very hard to live. Like I biked here. Uh, for me to drive here would be very difficult. It would be possible, but it would be like, it's actually faster for me to bike here than to drive here, and it's easier. It's it's geared for that. Uh, single family dwellings and fewer community anchors and centers. So, Richview area. So again, it was like, what is the heart of this community? It's like I don't know what the heart of the community is. Like, there's no. And please hear me. I am not saying it is bad to live in suburbia, but what I'm saying is there's a set of traits there that make ministry very different from a downtown area. And I, I actually read, uh, there's a book called Finding Holy in the Suburbs, written by an acquaintance of mine, uh, Ashley Hale. She lives in California. She talks about moving to suburbia and uh, the difficulty she had because it was like, I didn't want to live in suburbia. Like, it wasn't my dream. It's not the sexy thing to do. And her whole book is basically about how to do ministry in suburbia, which I think is very important. But here's what she says in what I think I've found myself. In suburbia, what are some of the ideals? Comfort. Uh, having your own space. So the ideal is that you can pull into your driveway, maybe even if you have a garage door opener, um, you can press the button and the garage door will open. You go into your garage and from there you walk into your house. Um, as well, the idea is, you know, your own backyard where your kids can play. Uh, and then you bring it out to church. And here's what I think generally I find with suburban churches. What are some of the things, and again, I'm not slagging them, but I, I pastored one of these. I think people came expecting programs. And so they come to the church saying, like, what do you have to offer me? Because there's a church down the road that has uh, even better programs. This can happen downtown as well. But also, it's, it's almost like when you're in suburbia, you shop at big box stores. You go to Costco, you go to Walmart, you go to... And the same thing goes to a church. You go to a full-service church where there's, like, they offer what you're looking for. And that... So she, Ashley uh, Hales writes this. She says, we're next to each other, but we're lonely. We close our garages, behind which we pursue our own stories of self-realization. We move out into the world, not face-to-face, -face, but in cars, windows up, ready to consume the next activity. We emerge from our garages for neighborly gestures, but life is not lived there between neighbors.
No, I don't know. Is she being too hard on suburbs? Am I being too hard on suburbs? I actually think we need to figure out what ministry looks like. I think we actually need to figure out what it means to be missional in suburbs. We need Christians in the suburbs. But I would say that there's, there's unique challenges in the city, which I'll get to, but there's unique challenges in the suburbs, which make ministry very difficult. So I want to pause here. Any questions, comments? And you can tell me I'm wrong if you want. So that's, that's okay. Do you think that condo living, um, like, I mean, it's very, very different from suburban living, yeah. but is it in some ways uh, even more isolationist if you want it to be? If you want it to be, for sure. Yeah. I was thinking about that last night. I, was, I went home like I hated last night. I was so convicted. Like, <laughs> um, I was really convicted when she said that um, it was a line that you can't be present if you're too busy. Yeah. I went home and I said to Charlene, oh, like, I hate I hated that. Like it was like God was like, listen to that. <laughs> and I was thinking about her front porch and just the whole thing of like in a condo you can't have that front porch. So um, I've actually found we'll get into this a little bit. Like I found where I live, people live in 400 square feet or larger. But like the unit right next to us is a studio, so it's like one room and a bathroom. Um, people have dogs. Many of them live alone. They're lonely. So in one sense, I've actually found it easier to make friends in where I live than I did when I lived in Etobicoke. Mm. So, but it's also easy to hide if you want to. So um, I find the loneliness drives people into community, but I find that if you want to, take the elevator up, don't talk to anybody, lock the door, and you can be left alone. So yeah, for sure. One of the things, because um, I do live in the, I, I like to say the inner suburbs, of Toronto, <clears throat> but um, it's an aging part of the city, so I think probably you know the trends of, of um, this growing demographic of seniors in Canada is going to be largely in smaller towns, the Brantfords, and maybe you know other people will move there or whatever. But it's also going to happen a lot in Etobicoke and North York and these kinds of places in Toronto. So that's just an interesting thing about what does it look like to do ministry. Um, in the suburbs and I think that creates quite a few opportunities just on our street the number of people who are now actually like they're not just retired they're now becoming like infirm so there there's a whole lot of sort of invitation in that towards you know checking in on people and uh, absolutely and talk about loneliness and stuff like that and that wasn't the case you know 20 years ago or whatever but now, a lot of these single detached homes, no one can buy them because uh, they're so expensive. So, and, and seniors don't want to leave them. So, anyway. You know what's interesting? Uh, I was reading a, a secular source saying that people used to flee downtown. They fled it to go to the suburbs because they were trying to flee poverty. And it's interesting because now, like in many places in downtown Toronto, it's actually poverty isn't there. Like there's pockets of downtown Toronto where there's poverty, but now you have to be very affluent. And so poverty has moved to the suburbs actually, part not everywhere, because like you say, to own a home is very expensive. But if it's you can't panhandling now, which yeah. was I know like I remember when that first started and I thought, this is different. Yeah. <clears throat> so the suburbs are changing. Like it used to be that would be where you'd go to be comfortable and downtown would I went to Pittsburgh the other year and it reminded me of what Toronto used to be like. At night, there's nobody on the streets. 
Whereas downtown Toronto now, like my wife used to walk home, she used to work late and she'd come home the odd time at two o'clock in the morning and I'd worry about her. And she said, you don't need to worry. Like Queen Street's packed. Like there's no, it's not risky at all. There's like more people out at two o'clock in the morning than like eight o'clock in the morning. It's, it's very busy, very vibrant. So yeah, it's interesting how it's changed. Let me talk about what I'm learning in the city. Um, and again, please interrupt me if, if I, like, I, and I want to preface this by saying, um, I feel like I'm very much learning. So I don't feel, I've spent most of my life in the suburbs. Trevor would know this, but um, I think as church planters, you never, let me know if I'm, this is fair or not. Like, I think the more you do it, the more you realize, like, I am, like, there's no... Uh, formula. There's no, like, I've nailed it. I think church planters is like, we're R&D department, so we're, we're really cobbling together, like, what is God calling us to do? Like, how can we serve this community? And it's not like you ever, like, nailed it. Like, this is, so I feel very much like I'm a student. And I, I would like to say this, urban areas are very challenging. So Liberty Village is very challenging. Uh, my friend was right. It, apart from the Lord, it really is impossible to plant a church there. And sometimes I'm actually perversely encouraged because I go to visit other church plants and uh, maybe by their social media I have this image of uh, revival and hundreds there. And then I go to visit and I'm like, praise God. Like we're all, like some of them are doing better, but we're all kind of limping along, right? Where none of us are, um, I don't think any of us would say we've cracked the formula of what it means to do effective ministry in downtown Toronto. But we're all working at it, and God is working in small ways, which I love how God does. God often works in small ways, not in big ways. But what I discovered actually moving to Liberty Village, and this, this I say would apply anywhere in uh, downtown Toronto and probably many other cities, certainly New York, uh, Montreal. I don't know about Windsor for sure. You can tell me in a minute. It's a city of neighborhoods. And what I experienced that day going up, the subway at Runnymede. Okay, so my dad lived in a little village in England called Birchington. And you would go down the street and there was like one main street and there would be the grocer. Uh, like, where, if you said, where are you going to go for groceries? It's like, there's one, you know. So, of course, like, I, I'm going to get up, I'm going to walk, I'm going to say hi to my neighbors on the street, I'm going to walk there, get groceries, come home. What I discovered is Toronto, a lot of communities downtown are like that. So in Liberty Village, where I live, you have to leave, as we heard last night, extra time for going to the grocery store because you're going to bump into three or four people. And that is not what I experienced in the suburbs. I never bumped into people. I would go to the grocery store and it would be like this, just like the massive population of uh, you didn't know anybody. I now live in a village where actually Liberty Village actually is a village because you continually meet people you know all the time, which means you can't get away with stuff either, right? Uh, one day I was, my daughter and I were out for a walk. I met somebody who knew me in the community. I think she knew my wife. And for whatever reason, my daughter, who's in her 20s, was feeling affectionate that day and grabbed my hand. And so she was, we were holding hands. I'm like, I'm not going to argue. Like, how many dads have their 20-year-old daughter want to hold their hand? And so I'm walking with her, and I see this person who sees me, and she gives me the dirtiest look. 
And uh, I know why. Because, like, I'm seeing Daryl, a pastor of a church here that he's planting, out with a young woman holding her hand, and it's, I know it's not his wife. <laughs> and so I had to think of a way, I didn't have to, but later on I messaged her and said, oh, I should introduce my daughter. So I thought I would head that off. But that's the beauty of being in a community like that. Like, you really are in a neighborhood where people know each other, which is a very different picture of what people think uh, of, like, what downtown is like. And Christopher Hume, who writes in The Star about urban issues, um, I don't always agree with what he says, but he says this, in a city obsessed with real estate and the price of housing, the neighborhood sits at the heart of what it means to be a Torontonian. I agree with that. Like, Little Portugal, which is north of where we live, Kensington Market, uh, Trinity Bellwoods, uh, Queen West, Parkdale, like you go on, um, City Place, Distillery District, um, Canary District, Fort York, like it is a, Toronto is this interesting conglomeration of small neighborhoods where each neighborhood has its very unique identity. One of my favorite things to do is actually to explore the city of Toronto on my day off and just discover like, I had no idea that there was, like one day Sharni and I were walking not far from here and she's like, I wanna go to the end of the street. And I said, what could possibly be at the end of the street? Like seriously. And she's like, no, just go. And we get to the end of the street and there's this like massive bull um, uh, street art basically. And I'm like, of course there had to be something at the end of the street. You end up being right again and I end up being wrong. But I love that, I love exploring like what is in this community? Like, what is the, what makes this community tick? What is the center of this community? And here's what, anybody know Jane Jacobs? So Jane Jacobs was uh, from New York. She fought Robert Moses there about kind of the development plans of Toronto, or New York, came to Toronto and uh, basically uh, wrote the book. Even though she wasn't trained as an urban specialist, she she's iconic uh, and so Jane Jacobs came to Toronto, fought at the time the expansion of the, uh, remember they were going to build a highway, the Spadina Expressway, uh, that from the Allen Road all the way through communities down to uh, basically the Gardner. And she fought that. And here's what she said. For a community to thrive, it needs to be walkable. It needs to be mixed use where you've got stores and uh, homes all mixed in together and businesses. It needs to have local economies so that, you know, you don't, I don't have to leave Liberty Village if I want to buy a bottle of wine or if I want to buy uh, rent. Uh, nobody rents movies. What's a good example? If I want to do whatever, like, I don't have to leave. I can do everything in the community. And also, like, she talks about this creating a walkable community with things at street level where there's members of the neighborhood get to know each other and have regular dealings with each other. So Jane Jacobs is brilliant. Not everyone agrees with her, but basically she said certain things are needed, and if that if those things are present within an urban community, it thrives. It just comes alive, and that's what I found. So we were in Brantford, as I said, and I said to Charlene, like, "Oh, can you picture living here?" Um, Charlene's my wife, and she said, "No." And we came back to Liberty Village. We were in the ugliest part of Liberty Village uh, the other day. If there are very ugly parts of Liberty Village. They haven't done a great job designing it. And she said, I'm back. This place is alive. The streets are full of people. 
Um, there's a vibrancy there. And that's what happens in a good downtown community. And here's what I would say, uh, and I'm going to get into the, some of the what I've learned in a minute about being in an urban community, but here's what I would say. Ministry in each neighborhood of Toronto should take the shape of that community. So a church in Parkdale should look very different from a church in Liberty Village, which should look very different from a church in, you know, a, name the community. Like, it really should begin to identify with that particular community and, and really... Uh, so there are regional churches. Um, I think Stone Church is an example of a regional church. But I think we need a lot of neighborhood churches. Uh, little, And it's not like either or, I think both. But I th actually think we need churches that are in particular neighborhoods that begin to take the shape of that neighborhood and reach those people. So like we heard last night, uh, the whole idea of parish, that's a power, in Toronto, I think we need to recapture that idea of parish, that we have churches that exist for the people of that community, regardless of whether they come to the church or not, that are working for the good of that community. And uh, so we have somebody who came to our church once, I think, and she calls me the village pastor. And I always say, did you say village pastor or village idiot? Because whenever somebody <laughs> says, he's the village, my mind automatically jumps to idiot, not pastor. So, But I love that. I love that she, I, she never, and I want her to come to church. I want her to know the Lord. She doesn't. But I love that she calls me the village pastor. Uh, I don't think there's a higher compliment. Like, that is what it's all about, to, to be in some sense they're representing Christ in that community. So so I'm going to talk about what I learned, but let's pause there. That's a whole idea of like one of the major differences, I think, from moving from the suburbs to moving to downtownish, is the neighborhood nature. I think that uh, suburbs generally don't have a strong sense of neighborhood as much. And counterintuitively, at least in Toronto, I'd be curious in Windsor, like communities actually have a sense of neighborhood. Very much. Yeah, it's good. Any comments, or I'd be interested if you agree, those of you that aren't in downtown areas, if, like, I just find that, although there's, like, Clarksonville, there's Agent Court, there's, like, different places, there isn't that cohesive sense of, like, oh, I bumped into, like, three people because I went to the grocery store, that kind of thing. Yeah, and interestingly, in my experience in Toronto, anyway, where there have been places of... Um where there had been economic and social need and the city has taken some initiative to identify, like back in the 2000s, I guess it was, there were these 13 uh, communities that were identified as kind of like at risk and the city made initiative to try to help in those communities. And that helped, actually, because it brought people together and there were then common things that folks were working on. So I would agree. I think... But yeah, in suburban communities that are relatively okay economically are um, more fragmented and individualistic and anonymous to each other. And uh, so it's just kind of interesting how the church and what kind of you have to latch on to as, as someone who's trying to do ministry and, and meet people and connect with people is influenced a lot by government decisions and Jane Jacobs kind of city planning issues and these kinds of things. So, yeah, glad that you're in a community that has all that kind of street level and mixed use. And like you said, you can't go to the grocery store without leaving time to bump into people. That's 
Like it's highly secular, but it's rich for relationship and connection. Yeah, it's interesting because a city has, like Liberty Village is a case study on not how to develop a community in a lot of ways. Like the not enough parkland, no, no schools, no community centers, density too high, sidewalks too narrow. Like there's more dogs than children. So the parks become like a dog toilet basically. So it becomes very hard for the kids to play there because um, yeah, so it's like they got a lot wrong, but still despite that, it's almost like it's still thriving. It's almost like I don't know why because like there's lots of reasons to hate Liberty. You can't, you can't grow grass in Liberty Village. Uh, by grass, I mean like not marijuana, I mean grass, right? Because the, the dogs pee on it and so like they keep planting grass and it's like, you know, I don't know. So they made a lot of mistakes, but it still works somehow. Any other comments? Yeah, um, I, like I'm just trying to um, kind of see where where my experiences fit in. I I don't think like Midland, um, you you did know people, right? And you did run into people in the, but that's more of like that's sixteen thousand people. That's um, that's maybe not even a suburb, but kind of. Uh, and then here, you you mentioned it already. Like we're Stone Church is kind of both. So, you know, we've definitely made some ground to be more of a community church, uh, but we still kind of get that, those hardships of, of the distant suburban people coming in and, and not wanting to come during the week or not wanting to invest in, it's really hard to find volunteers uh, because a lot of people commute in. Um, and so, yeah, like it's just kind of a, a weird thing. And, and even for me, I, I was convicted last night too, just like my, my living situation is I'm, I'm, 80% of my life is here, um, and then 20% like I'm sleeping, so I'm not developing community where I live, um, and, and I'm more of the, the shut my doors and, and sleep and eat. So, you know, I just trying to, to process all of that. And, and Even in commuting, like one thing I remember from Bridgeview is people saying, if I want to invite somebody to church, I probably won't invite them here because right. it's so far away. Sure. Like I'll drive, but yeah. yeah. It's very difficult. Yeah, and where I live, it's about 20 minutes here, so it's not too bad, um, just because I'm right next to DVP here and then here. Uh, so on a, on a good day, on a Sunday morning, it's it's about 20 minutes, even yeah. less than. On a work week, it's about 45. Yeah. Um, but um, but yeah, yeah, it's it's true. It's it's just that weird. And I desire to live closer, but it would just oh, be pretty yeah. next. Uh, like my, my rent is already you know half my salary, yeah. so it would be even more that if I came to this area. Yeah, absolutely. It's tricky. Yeah. Let me tell you what I've learned, and I'm still learning. Like, I feel like, you know, last night was like a dagger to the heart in so many ways. I'm like, oh, like, yes, thank you for yeah. reminding me. I need to. But here's what I'm learning. Uh, first is this, like, got to learn the neighborhood. Uh, so I came in, and I'm continually doing this. So this sounds like so, like, oh, duh, but... Like, I spent 20 years not pastoring in a city, uh, pastoring in a suburban context, in a traditional church. And to move to a downtown community uh, of people who are younger than me and plant a church, which is very different from, like, pastoring an established church, one of the things I'm continually trying to figure out is how do I not just import what I think I know into this situation? I've got to relearn, almost, like, rethink everything uh, so, and even the neighborhood especially, to understand what makes Liberty Village tick. What is 
different about this community where I actually have to know this culture. So if somebody wrote this, every island in a city has developed its own culture. Suburbs are like a standard mall. They all look the same once you are inside them. Urban neighborhoods are more like local shops that all have their unique flavor. Uh, so I'm always struck when I go to the States uh, that I could be in a mall in like, um, I was in a mall in Orlando last year. And it's not that different from Square One Mississauga. Like it feels kind of the same. But yeah, neighborhoods just have like, uh, I was, if I go to Kensington Market, you know you're in Kensington Market, right? Like it's not like anywhere else. It's very eclectic. And I think knowing like what makes this community different, which changes actually over time too. So like just learn the neighborhood. In church planning, I don't know if you use this term a lot, uh, but they talk about year zero. So I'm a very like ambitious person in terms of like, I tend to skip preparation. I, I, I'm, I don't, that's saying too far. I like to get things done, right? I'm very impatient if I'm not getting things done. One of the hardest things to do in church planting is actually to stop doing and start listening and learning. Like just put a break. For me, it's hard to put the brakes on doing. Uh, the other thing, Tim Keller, I remember Tim Keller saying, a lot of preachers are very good at speaking and really bad at listening. And they go into a community and they're like, we're here, let me tell you. And it's like, how do you stop and listen and learn about people in the community? So yeah, learn. I mean, it sounds so simple, right? But I really think it actually is important to learn the identity of the community, to just begin to exegete the community. I'll give you one more point and then we'll break. I've got about one, two, three, four, five, six, eight points. So I'll give you one more and then uh, we'll take a break. The other thing I'm learning in urban context is expect things to take longer. So it is slower in an in inner city context. So the other day I said to somebody who supports us financially, thank you for hanging in there with us. Uh, we're approaching our sixth anniversary as a church plan. It used to be that the model would be you got three years and then like, you know, you're, you should be up and going. Like you should have everything going now. And what I'm finding, and I've heard this from urban church planters, you can do that still today if your ministry plan is basically sucking Christians from other churches to join you who are good givers. But if you're gonna grow a church that is part of the fabric of the neighborhood, and if you're gonna reach people who are not already believers, you're looking at probably, in some cases, six, seven years. Uh, and I've even heard people say, even in affluent areas, it might be that it's difficult for them ever to be fully sustainable because of the cost. Now, given that there are different models that bring down the cost, bivocational, I think, should be on the table. Uh, different options in terms of getting space and all that, but generally in an urban area, it's going to take much longer uh, than in a suburban setting. You've got to take time to exegete the culture. You've got to be a student of the culture. And you've got to also realize that within the city, we're going to look at this, uh, some of the factors, but like the transience, the cost, uh, the nature of the people who live there, it might take longer to see the same results in an inner city or a city as it would in the suburbs.
so that's anecdotal, but it, I think it's true. Uh, that's been my experience for sure. So let's pause there. I got six more, but does that ring true so far? Any comments? I can keep going. But. Well, one of the things I found coming from, you know, uh, into urban ministry, our, our church is very focused on poverty issues yeah. and, and marginalized people. And, and I had to rethink... Um, the, the paradigm of discipleship because church is really good at making discipleship sequential yeah. and educational and uh, discipleship with people that are not sequential yeah, and educational right. uh, has to be more cyclical and, and almost um, uh, adapting as you go yeah. living with them in ways that has, has a deeper effect than, you know, them just sort of processing all yeah. the information. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm curious about, uh, in, in Liberty Village, um, you know, so what would, what would be the, a lot of, what would be the, the kind of, the obstacles, the barriers that, uh, prevent, um, you know, the, the, the gospel saturating in people's lives. So the really, uh, one of the things would be people there live very good lives. Um, and I, I think it's very tempting to say that they're rich. They're actually not rich. Um, to live in Liberty Village, a lot of condos cost 3000 a month or up. Or to buy, my neighbor's selling her condo. And it's, it's in the 900s to buy. So... You're not buying a detached home. You're buying a condo. Yeah. My maintenance fees are eight or nine hundred dollars a month. Yeah, eight hundred and like creeping up to nine hundred dollars a month. Yeah. So, like to live there takes a lot of money. So, and then people, it's fascinating. The people who own my the guy who owned my condo before me, uh, he lived there two years. I think he uses oven twice. Uh, so when we bought it, we had a brand new oven, and he's like, "You've lived here two years." He eats out all the time. So. People in our community, like they're used to, like I have a nice place, I have a good job, I can eat out and drink, like go for drinks every night. Um, there's a concert on, like, I don't know, like my ne a neighbor across the hallway, if there is a Raptors championship game or a big name concert, he's there. Uh, like, I don't know where he gets his money from, but he's at every, so I think honestly the good life is a major barrier where we are. Like people just have no need of God. Uh, the other area, and we're confronting this now, is we believe, I hope all of us believe some very strange things. Like, uh, and so I'll give you an example. Like, Jesus was born of a virgin. Um, Jesus rose physically and bodily from the dead. And just even, like, for people who haven't grown up in Christianity... They're like, come again? Like, what do you believe exactly? And they believe. Like, I remember one lady that said her father died, and she knows that her father comes to visit her because one day she found a toothpick under her pillow, and she doesn't even have toothpicks in her house. And so she, for her, it was like, that's sign that, like, she, like, people believe weird things, but within the church to say we believe, like, we're, we're preaching on sexuality right now, to say that we believe some of the things we believe about sexuality People are like, in Liberty Village, it's like, really? Like, you seriously? 
So I think, yeah, I think there's not a lot of hunger for God. I think actually I wish there was more. This is, I have to be careful when I say this. Like I actually think hostility is better than indifference. And it's not like I want hostility. But I think sometimes people are just like so indifferent. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's just like affluence, basically. Did you speak a little bit about space and yeah did I miss that already no no it's coming but I'll I'll speak about it now so we we rented a dance studio we could only get it for a few hours a week we paid quite a bit for it Uh, and then they one day we have all our stuff stored there one day I was out of town and I got a phone call saying that she had broken the lease so could we better come get our thing because once you break the lease like if you sign a five-year lease and you you inform your landlord that you're breaking it, they can come immediately and change the locks. So she phones me and says, just so you know, I've broken the lease. Like, we don't know the landlord could be here later today and basically, like, change the locks and all your sound equipment, like $10,000 worth of stuff, could be gone. Because at that point, the landlord can seize everything that's in there. So we lost that space and uh, we began to look for new space. Where we are, that was the good old days of Liberty Village. That was four years ago. Uh, there was still stuff available, um, and so it took a lot of work. Oh, my coworker at the time, Nathan, said, "Oh, this is exciting! Uh, I can't wait to see what God will do." And I wanted to deck him because I believe that he was right, but he wasn't worried. Like it was my job to find a new space. He was just like, "Oh, this is so good! I'm going home to have dinner with my wife. Good luck." Right? Like, so I was like, "Oh!" I so we looked for a new space. We found a place a storefront, and. Uh, Basically, the landlord said, you've got six months before we redevelop. The restaurant that was there before was paying double what we're paying now. Uh, but it's like, you can have it because it's only going to be yours for six months. And four years later, we're still there. We think we have another year. We're looking for new space. There's nothing. So, and since then, that was four years ago, every property has been bought by developers. And now they're renting to... Like, we were trying to rent this place, and the, the agent said, well, it's either you or, like, I forget, winners or, like, some not, it's like, I don't think you have a chance. So, yeah, space is a huge issue. There's no schools, no churches, and we're committed to staying in Liberty Village. So it's like, we're here, we're not leaving. I don't know what God's going to do, but. So last time we found our, we lost our space, it took two weeks they wouldn't call me back. It's like the space was available. They said they were interested. And I remember one night, we actually called a prayer meeting to pray about it. And uh, so we're praying about this. And it was in the middle of that prayer meeting that she finally sent the email saying the space was ours. So I love how God works, right? It's like he waits till we're like, we keep trying and pushing down the doors. And it's only in the middle of prayer that God's like, okay. How does the no schools thing uh, affect your demographics and then like your youth? So I'm the student ministries pastor here, so I'm just interested. Like, do you guys have a youth group, and how big is it? Uh, we have no youth. Okay. My son was attending. He's now 20. Right. Uh, but yeah, there's no. I don't think there's any teenagers in the neighborhood. Right. Yeah. Um, there's babies, and yeah. then typically, I I don't think I see many children above about age three or four. Is it young professionals and then they're moving out if they get married or is it older? 
No, it's it, actually there are some older. The typical would be in their 30s, okay. and because people delay marriage now, right. uh, typically people are into their 30s before they have a kid, and then. So we had so it's heartbreaking. We had a, somebody who had two kids and came to me and said, "I hate leaving church. This is my church. I love this church. Yeah. You'll never have kids here, and for the sake of my kids, I need to go to a church that does." And I was like, "You're right, but it's hard. yeah, it's hard because you're trying to build like." You need kids to get other kids, right? Yeah. And then yeah. when people leave, yeah. oh, that's so hard. Yeah. You had your hand up or you're just stretching? I'm just uh, rubbing my, it helps you're, me think. Yeah, <laughs> I know, so I know the feeling. It sounds like there's an in, intrinsic barrenness to Liberty Village. Yeah. Because if you start to have children, you, you no longer fit there. Yeah. Well, and uh, the other thing I'm wrestling with right now is that how do you... So I believe in singleness. Like, I'm preaching this week, actually. Like, singleness is not second class. Right. right. However, when all your people are single, yeah. like, when singleness is the norm, mm -hmm. uh, that, that I'm thinking through what does ministry look like in that context. So, yeah. like, so it's, it's interesting. Like, no, when you're in a community that has very little marriage and very little, very few children... Like, what does that look like long-term for the community? Does that create a healthy community or? Well, yeah, I think that's common in a lot of condo communities. It is. Unless you have two babies, you're, you're headed for Curtis or Bowmanville on this side. Or, yeah. And uh, so that was a challenge. But it's interesting because I met with Olivia Chow when she used to be our MP and she said, in Hong Kong, in a like 800 square foot condo say like you'd have six kids wow. or you know like she's like there's something about the North American like yeah. standard that it's very different yeah. but yeah you're not gonna I don't think you could change that we're not at the heart communal yeah that's right yeah. yeah that's why I was so challenged with last night right like how do you build that sense of community and like how do you like could we leave our condo door open and yeah it's, mm -hmm. it's very interesting um, David Fitch said this. David Fitch is a church planter, actually born in uh, Canada from Hamilton. Forgive him, he likes the Thai cats. But um, and then he's he moved to Chicago. He's a professor there and also a uh, a church planter, and uh, but not your normal church planter. And this is what his advice is, and it's, I think it's an important lesson for ministry to the city. He says. Commit to this place for 10 years. And he says, basically, he's not a big fan of sending, like, what I, we did, send a couple in, good luck, but send three couples in and have them all commit to 10 years. And he says, if you do that, there'll be a fresh expression of the gospel in that community until the kingdom is consummated in Christ's return. And what he's basically saying is two things there. It's going to take more than one person. It's going to take probably... Like, he recommends three couples. And it's going to take, like, ten years. You're going to feel like quitting. But if you're going to move into a downtown area, don't expect to go there for two or three years and see things happen very quickly. And I really believe he's right. Like, so one of the reasons we brought Nathan in, and Nathan's no longer with us, um, you know Nathan, is very quickly I realized we can't do this by ourselves. Like, we, we're building a core team, but we... We're, 
we'll get too discouraged, we'll feel too alone, um, the obstacles will be too great. Now bringing somebody in, then you all of a sudden you have the problems of how do you work with this other person, right? You have all the other, like you introduce a whole new set of problems, but you're not alone anymore. And that was really valuable for us. So um, yeah, I think just the, you've got to lengthen the timeline. And it's almost like you've got to strap yourself to the mast and say, I'm not going to call it quits until 10 years have passed. Um, and, then, and then this, use different metrics. Uh, I was talking with somebody this morning about this. Um, we feel good, at least I do, when there's a big crowd out. Um, we love that, right? Um, it, so it's funny, I speak at a lot of churches. It's not even my church, and I feel really good if I go to a church and it's packed out. Um, like, it's good for the ego. And again, like, why does that matter, right? Like, does Jesus measure success by that? And so within church planting, especially in a city, one of my church planter friends in London gave me advice one day uh, in London, England. And he said, I've learned two things about, two rules about church planting that I follow pretty carefully now. Stop counting and have fun. Is that the best advice in the world? I don't know if it is. But I actually think there's a bit of wisdom there. Like on Sundays, I used to look out the window and see like where is so-and-so are they coming today? And, and it really helped me to, instead of counting the people who weren't there or counting the paltry numbers that were there some days, these people are here. Like minister to them. Uh, have fun. Like, don't let the people who are not there rob your joy. So that whole thing of what metrics look like success in your context. Maybe in an urban context, because it's not going to be probably huge numbers right away. Maybe it looks like getting to know your neighbors. Maybe it looks like having opportunities to share the gospel or have gospel conversations. Maybe it looks like you know, what happened to me is uh, somebody who had no interest in the church that I met at a board game group calling me and saying, can we meet because I have cancer and I, I just need to talk to somebody now and I know you're a pastor, I want to talk to you. So, you know, for, I, I was at a church where we had had hundreds of people um, and to go from that to a church of in a downtown area where we had nobody, uh, how do you measure success? especially when the growth isn't as rapid as you hoped it would be. Um, I've just got a few more and then I'll open it up. But the other, another thing I'd say is, is, is this true in Windsor? It's a very transient environment. Cities seem to be places where people come and go very quickly. Is that true where you are? Yes um, and no. I mean, I, I think Win, Windsor, uh, tends to be uh, more of an industrial city, so people tend to yeah. stick it out longer. But in, in yeah. 25 years, I've probably had five yeah. different congregations, Yeah. so I don't need to move, they do. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know, in Liberty Village, I, I was shocked, because when I moved there, I didn't know the area very well, and the guy that told me I could ever plant a church there, he said, is it a very transient area? And I was like, well, then that question had never occurred to me before. I hadn't even moved there yet. But I was like, I don't know. Um, and it turns out that 70% of the people in Liberty Village move every two years. So 
like we have that's one of the things that's kept us small is that this has been born true within our church like uh, people come maybe they become Christian maybe we, I baptized two three people the next week two of them were gone like one moved to London England and I forget where the other one moved but it wasn't like they just took off it's like Set, like uh, we've had in six years, I think we've had probably about four different congregations. So like the transience is the real issue. It's almost like a college ministry and you have, you can't fight it. So you can't go like you guys need, you can, but uh, one guy I read said he just came to see his ministry in a, a setting like that as almost being like, you know, the water people in a marathon. It's like people are passing through uh, I can mourn the fact that they're passing through, but why don't I just get used to playing my role while they're passing through and uh, trying to be as effective as I can while they're there. So, yeah, so it's it's hard, but I hate that, that it takes three years. Dan McDonald says it takes three years to reach somebody for Christ in Toronto, and this is a miracle. It can happen like that. But he says typically from first contact or first exploration to commitment to Christ, three years. Well, how do you do that in a church or a community context where people move every two years? It's really hard, but that's what it is. Um, yeah, two more things and then I'll conclusion and then we'll just open it up. Um, so I lived in Etobicoke, Parkland and Queensway. Liberty Village is, uh, with good traffic, 10 minutes away uh, by car. And when I... First, the first year, my family wasn't ready to move to Liberty Village, so I would commute in and hang out in the coffee shop. I'd meet with people. And then people would say, where do you live? And I would say, oh, in Etobicoke, not far away. And it was almost like, you know the limos where they have the um, the drivers up front and, the, and like, you could almost see that, like, uh, you could almost see them reach for the thing that's like, the wall's up, like, I'm done with you. And what I discovered, and, and we knew this right from the beginning, was always our plan to move to the community. But in urban ministry, presence matters. At Ridgeview, I could live. I live nine kilometers away, 15-minute drive. Nobody cared, really. But where I'm ministering now, you have to be part of the community. You just have to be. And that's part of, I think, urban ministry, generally speaking. It actually matters. I know one person, a church planter, planting in an impoverished area uh, in eastern Scarborough, uh, near off Kingston Road. He lives up north of Newmarket. And it's like, dude, like you can't plant in an urban impoverished community and then live an hour away. Like, so it, presence actually matters. Being part of the community matters. Uh, being part of community events matters so that people get to know you. So somebody said to me, uh, you guys always show up. Like, you guys are always there. You're part of this community. And that counts for a lot, knowing that people see us like, we know you're here. We know you're not just driving in. We know that you're part of this community. And then it's getting pulled out. So we're right now facing the temptation, like, why don't you consider moving out of Liberty Village? Like, there's no space there. And we've just, right in our values at the beginning, said we are committed to Liberty Village. Personally speaking, I felt, I don't get discouraged a lot, but there have been maybe three times where I'm like, I'm done. I'm, this is too hard. Resist getting pulled out. Like just say, it's, no matter how hard it's going to be, I'm going to stick with these people. I'm going to be here as long as it takes. If the Lord removes me, that's different. But it won't be because I'm like, it gets too hard. 
And my conclusion is this, and then we'll open up for discussion. We've largely figured out ministry in the suburbs. We're really good at ministry in the suburbs. We need more Christians to make long-term commitments to be good neighbors and also uh, to be part of a good ministry in the city. We don't have, like there's whole neighborhoods of Toronto where there's no good churches and there's a dearth of even Christians living there are saying we're committed to this place to be good neighbors, to be hospitable, to welcome them into our homes, to pursue the peace of the city. And somebody said this, uh, this applies wherever you are, suburbs or rural area or downtown, but I believe it. Ultimately, healthy communities will only be realized when individuals commit to a particular place and to be particular neighbors in the long-term work of making a place, of recognizing and enjoying the responsibilities and pleasures of membership in a local community. So I don't even care if you're downtown or not, or commit to a community and just say, I'm committed to making this neighborhood, I'm committed to loving people, like I'm here and I want God to use me to bless this community over a long period of time. I think if more Christians did that, we would begin to see Toronto be radically transformed and Windsor radically transformed and uh, Scarborough, you know, wherever we are. So that would be my challenge for all of us. Um, commit to a place, love the neighborhood, uh, commit to ministry there over a long period of time, ask God to use you. And I think that in small ways, but significant ways, he will. So that's all I got. So uh, questions, I think we got 10 minutes. Or discussion. You can argue with me, too. Daryl, I'm curious, Daryl, that, you know, um, tribalism, you know, of, you know, the limousine window going up because you're not living in the neighborhood. I mean, you are now, but when that was happening, contrast that with the fact that the average person is only there for two years. Yeah, so, that's right. So what's, what's really going on when people say, I can dismiss you because I'm proud of where I am and I'm looking for people that are aligned with that somehow? What's, what's going on? What do you think? Yeah, that's a, oh, that's a great question. I might need your help with that, actually. I think, so, I, I, despite people only living there a short period, I really think there is a strong sense of community identity. So, but I don't know why that, like, that, that wouldn't make sense because people are transient, but it exists somehow. Yeah. So, yeah, I can't, I don't know. I'll have to think about that. Unless, I don't know if you have ideas, any of you. But actually, you know Liberty Village, or Trevor, you know Liberty Village a bit. I don't well, I was just going to make a comment about Toronto generally. You know, we have said for a long time it's a city of neighborhoods. And um, for people who live in the suburbs, uh, we still think that way. So I live on the border between North York and Scarborough, and it matters which side of that Victoria Park you're on. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, in the absence of maybe better things to make your identity of or to attach your sense of worth to um, yeah there's a strong culture uh, in Toronto to, to to identify with your with your place which is good as far as it goes but it, it, it you know if people are not willing to talk to you because you don't 
come from there, then obviously it's become too much of a thing. And I also think that, like, if you say you're in from Etobicoke, like, did anybody ever watch Corner Gas? They said the neighbor, the name of the neighboring town, and they always go, like, yeah. it's almost like that, like Etobicoke, like, it's, it's almost it's like astonishness. It's it's almost like gang behavior yeah. without the criminality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And and how, you know, uh, in the the gospel work, you know, the, the work of the kingdom. Um, do we bring people to that place of saying uh, it doesn't matter where you live, it doesn't matter where you're from. The cool thing now is uh, they've opened a respite center in Liberty Village, so you have homeless people. They're building a bridge, so the railway kind of kept people out of, like yeah. Parkdale people out of Liberty Village. And now it's like we're actually building bridges across into uh, different neighborhoods. So it's interesting to see a change, because it used to be almost like like it was hard to get into, into Liberty Village, hard to leave, so it was almost like we're wall, like a walled little gated community. And now it's opening up, so it's very different. And it, it's painful because people are, like, they're struggling. Like, now there's needles in the parking lot, right? Yeah. Now there's homeless people, and yeah. they don't know what to do about that. Yeah. Mm. Just in your experience with, with church planning, I mean, I mean, on one hand, we see the importance of moving into the neighborhood, but yet we see it, you need a significant amount of... Yeah. Worth to do that, so almost we're saying church planning is for the, those of affluence that can afford it, right? And so you know, a lot of times in urban ministry settings, there's this "I live in my neighborhood and I and you don't" kind of thing, right? And uh, so that's a challenge that I come up with all the time. You know, somebody that spends 60 hours a week in Regent Park and is seeing growth, and but you're always kind of, well, you don't live there, so you're not really committed for the long haul or you're not really making an impact and, and you're always having to kind of offend yourself for that but the, the reality is like I don't have a million dollars to buy a townhouse right so it's like you know sometimes you just kind of have to yeah you know I mean God's called me here we're seeing fruit, yeah we're seeing lives changed and I just kind of have a stiff upper lip and and deal with the church planning snobbery sometimes right but absolutely but, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so like how do other movements provide someone a million dollars to not have their family live in, you know, family of five live in one, yeah. one studio, right? So that's a very valid point. Like the guy that I knew that moved north of Newmarket, it wasn't because he couldn't afford to live in that area, but it was because like I don't want to live there. I don't want to live with those people. Mm -hmm. But I think, yeah, like one of the things of figuring out the economics of how do you plant in a very expensive area. So... Yeah, like, I don't think there's an easy answer. I think the cost structure is a huge issue, bivocational. It, but, you know, it's easier to go from, like, I've talked recently to an airline pilot uh, that only flies, like, and he's thinking of becoming a full-time church planter, a firefighter. He only would have to miss one Sunday out of, like, every five, and he would know well in advance. Like, it's much easier to go that way from there into ministry than for somebody like me who's been a pastor to move into like a second career, but like uh, Ed Stetzer and those guys would say in urban, they're just beginning to think about like we need radically new models of ministry that because within cities, the suburban model of full-time pastor, like permanent facility and all that, that's getting harder in all the cities. So 
Yeah, I don't know that we figured that out yet, but it's a good point. I feel very guilty. Like, I make more money than I should for the size of the church we have, but the reason that I do, it's not like, and we don't have any extra money. Like, we're scraping by every month, but it's just because living where I do costs that much money. So it's you hard. You can't I, compare yourself no. to somebody in another place. Right. And, and, you, and, and you may make what feels like an obscene amount of money for what you do, but you're also paying to live where you are. Yeah, and it's it's hard. Like, yeah. if you read what need, what you need to make to live in a place like Liberty Village, and it's a lot of money. So, how do you minister in a place like that? It's very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Or Regent Park, even right? It's yeah. I think the the issue though also becomes the the, and each person would be different. But I think for for some pastors, it it's just there is a lot of added. You talked about sort of twenty percent of your week is spent eating and sleeping at, at Warden and Lawrence and 80% of your weeks here, that that's tough. So there's a price there that, you know, um, so it'd be interesting to have more conversation when you mentioned the guys in the U.S. who are talking about, like, what are the models of ministry that might make it possible? And maybe it is more, uh, you know, like communal right. living. What would it look like to share ownership of something that no one family could possibly afford? And could there be maybe even like, you know, maybe there are, would be some Christian foundations. My goodness, the amount of money that's, you know, sitting in investments inside charitable foundations. That, like, could somebody get excited about, hey, this, this, this would be a strategic thing yeah. that isn't about being able to sort of brag that you're in the community, but like, uh, to have an, in, like, that would integrate life a lot in some really great ways. And I think like just, you know, how I've been able to reconcile and, and I think with you too is just like, you know, we understand that we got to just spend more time here, right? And that's what I do now, right? Like I, um, you know, I, I, I go above and beyond the 40 hours a week just to be more present here because I know that I'm, you know, sleeping, you know, further away and, and that's just kind of how I've been able to it's funny, you know, back in the, whenever, whatever decade it was, all these churches had manses. Right. And then everybody ditched those. Yeah. Um, it's actually an issue within not just, like, downtown Toronto, but, yeah. but for that very issue, like, most churches in even uh, Scarborough or Etobicoke or Mississauga now, a lot of people are saying, I could come there and make the same salary, or I could move to Midland. Yep. And, like, which one am I going to choose? Like. Yeah. So that just well, yeah, financially a number of, number of churches in the inner suburbs whose pastors can't afford to live yeah. near the church building. Yeah. That's typical, I think. So one day I was at a, a faith tech event and I, I wish I this shows I I wasn't thinking, but I met a guy and he's like, I think I, he his theory is in Toronto, a quarter of the wealth of Toronto is in kingdom hands and they just can't find good things to invest it in. And if I were smart, I would have said, can I have your card? Because I want to follow up with this conversation. I never did. But that got me thinking, like, I don't think there's a lack of money in the kingdom. But I think that probably we need to think strategically about, like, what are some models that are more compelling than maybe what we have right now? Where people are like, yeah, I'll invest in that. So I think the money's there. But probably we need to think of new models and new approaches. So, and we're in the middle of doing that right now, right? Like, we're losing our space. So we're thinking through some creative new possibilities but 
it's not easy, that's for sure. And there you have it, Daryl Dash from Liberty Grace Church in Toronto. You can find out more about Daryl or uh, reach out to him at his church website, libertygrace.ca, or you can check out his own website, dashhouse.com. Now that's a dash house with two H's. He's also the author of a book, How to Grow, uh, Applying the Gospel to All of Life. Uh, Daryl's also the co-founder of Gospel for Life and director of Advanced Church Planting Institute. He has a Doctor of Ministry degree from Gordon-Conwell uh, Theological Seminary. And uh, he's had over 25 years of ministry experience. Uh, quite, a, quite a good guy to listen to. Well, the next episode we're coming back and we're going to go to Surrey, BC. We're going to meet Mike Brownlee from Metro Kids. Mike and his wife are part of a team that works with at-risk urban kids in a city surrounded by so much beauty and grandeur and yet the challenges of the urban core. We want to bring you two episodes every month and if you want to contact me you can uh, find contact information on our website Sidewalk Skyline Podcast or on Facebook or Twitter. I would love to hear what you're thinking and uh, Give us some feedback. Uh, what do you like? What, what do you have questions about? Until next time, keep one ear to God and the other ear to the ground in your city. I'm Kevin Rogers, and this is Sidewalk Scott.